Hello, welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. In this episode of our History 101 series, we do the Roman Empire. What have the Romans ever done for us? What have the Romans ever done for us? Well, we, the Roman Empire is going to last, like the Roman Republic, about 500 years. And it starts with Augustus, Octavian Augustus. Octavian was so successful that they named him Augustus. So he's Octavian Augustus, and he's going to reform the government. He's emperor, which simply means general. It's a successful general. It doesn't mean king of kings or anything. It was, it's just a regular old title. It's not that impressive. Um, and that's part of the thing, because now emperor means the, the highest of the high. And Octavian Augustus looks at the wreckage of the Republic and says, I'm going to fix this. And the Senate clearly can't run the, run the, run the government. The Senate has uh, failed and then collapsed since 125 BC. In the last 125 years, it has, in the last 100 years, it has, it has completely failed in its ability to get the job done. And so I am going to run it. I am awesome. I am Octavian. I am Augustus. They're going to name a month after me. And everyone will take that month for vacation. At least in Europe, they will. And um, I am going to run the government, not the Senate. This adds stability. Maybe. Um, it adds stability if you're Augustus. Augustus will run the empire until he's in his 70s. He's one guy in charge. He has the same policies. You don't have this... This back and forth. You don't have this fighting over who's in charge. Uh, you don't have civil wars. You have stability. And which is really what everybody wants. Everyone, the Senate hands over power to Augustus. They hand over power to, to Octavian and say, run it. We can't run it anymore. We, we, we're just going to F this up. Help us. Well, this works if you have a good emperor. If you've got Augustus. If you've got Octavian, Augustus, who are the same people, um, the same person, then it works. If you have a good emperor, and Octavian is, is going to be the best emperor. You have Trajan and Hadrian in 100 years, and then there's really nobody afterwards. I mean, there's some famous guys, but they're, they're not as good as Octavian. They're not as good as Hadrian and Trajan. Uh, there's Marcus Aurelius... But he gave us uh, Commodus. I mean, you know, how 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 responsible you are for your son being a total f head, right? I don't I don't know. Um. So this is good if you have a good emperor, Augustus. But it's bad if you have a bad emperor. And this Caligula, this Nero, this Commodius. There's there's going to be a whole bunch of them. This, this, so you don't have stability if you have a bad emperor, but you do have stability if you have a good emperor. So notice the system is already being run for Augustus, for Octavian. So it will have the advantages of an Octavian, so stability, because he's a good emperor, but it will also have 
the disadvantages. Well, Octavian can't be emperor forever. He will die. In some ways, this is like the American presidential system. The presidential system was built for George Washington. And so its successes and its failures are George Washington's successes or failures. Oh, you have a limited term. Well, because Washington gave up power. Well, what about people who don't want to give up power? You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president four times. That's a long time to be president. Now, they made a constitutional amendment about that, so there's reforms, but at the same time, it's, it was built for Washington. So it has, it play. so as long as you get a president like Washington, it works. If you don't have a president like Washington, it doesn't work. The system falls apart. What about the army? Well, the army is the emperor's. It's not Rome's. It doesn't belong to the Senate. It belongs to Octavian. It is well paid by the emperor out of the emperor's own money. So it is loyal to him, not to Rome. The biggest change is that what Octavian does is create a permanent standing professional military force, like the Assyrians, like the Spartans. He is going to hire people within the Roman Empire who are going to be soldiers for 20 years. This is a massive cost. It's going to be a couple hundred thousand troops. They're going to be stationed in the east, in Syria. They're going to be stationed in the northwest. They're going to be stationed in the north, in Gaul, on the German borders, um, on the Danube. They're going to not be stationed in Spain, in Italy, in North Africa. They're not going to be stationed in the core of the Roman Empire. They're on the frontiers. They are protecting the borders. But their job is to be excellent and well-trained. And so what Josephus, when the, when the Judeans were going to revolt, Josephus warns them, don't revolt, don't. You play at war. You play at battles. The Romans work at them. It's what they do. Training are bloodless battles to the Romans. And battles are just bloody training. Like, you can't win. And Josephus was right. He brings the concept of natio, of citizenship for service. You do 20 years, you pop out of the military a Roman citizen. So you get an imperial army with imperial relationships. The Roman officers will teach non-Romans how to fight in a Roman way and thus how to act Roman. All of the rules, all of the language, all of the orders will be in Latin. So you'll have to learn Latin. The officers will be Romans. The best jobs will be Romans. And what will happen is the people could, the non-Romans will start as, as regular infantry. They'll rise to like centurion levels, right? It's only after they like kind of retire, they become Roman citizens, they can become officers or their children will become officers. And after a hundred years or so, this becomes, as the United States has, families become um, part of this so that sons join up into their father's units 
and generations serve in the units. So that some of these Roman units, um, they're kind of like my Swedish uh, units in this in the seventeenth in the eighteenth century in seventeenth century, seventeenth and eighteenth century. Some of them had units. The Swedes had some units that went back two hundred years. By the time they're they're fighting under Charles the twelfth, they were some of the same units under my king and my PhD and Charles the tenth. And those units had been invented under Gustavus Vasa in the fifteen twenties. And so there was this long history of service within these local troops, of experience, of institutional knowledge. But what the idea was, was you were making new citizens. So some of these Roman armies at the end of the Roman Empire had histories that went back 300 years. You know, and that was a lot of institutional knowledge and relationships. So this was the main way the army was the main way of making new Romans through Nascio. The Roman army was victorious in Mesopotamia, in the Balkans, in Britain, but not in Germany. At the Battle of the Teutonberg Forest in 6 AD, uh, Octavian's general Varus lost three legions to these barbarian troops. They were sucked into a, um, into a trap by their German allies and attacked and the entire legions were wiped out for a while the entire Gallic dramatic border was open to invasion uh, the Germans sacrificed a bunch of the, the Romans who were captured they uh, nailed their heads to trees um, to, so that things wouldn't die in the winter uh, and eventually they started fighting each other rather than invading the Gallic the Gallic uh, borderlands. So Germany will remain this violent frontier that will not be part of the Latin and Greek world culture. That's going to matter in the Middle Ages when Christianity is going to spread and Charlemagne is going to try to bring Germany into quote-unquote Europe. So there's this concept of Europe that's beginning to, to be created and that concept is urban, civilized. Uh, it's going to be urban. It's going to be Latin and Greek in its culture. And it's going to come from the Mediterranean. It's going to radiate out of the Mediterranean. So there's this concept of Europe. And we're going, to, we're going to talk about this in 101 and 102, how we're going to break that up into two Europes, a West and an East. How parts that aren't in Europe, Germany, later my own Scandinavia, uh, will be Poland, for example, will be brought in. If you, if you are a Witcher fan, part of the story of the Witcher, the background of this story is the German Holy Roman Empire's invasion of Poland during the Crusades. Notice Nilfgaard is kind of the Roman Empire, but it's, it's really, it's, the Holy Roman Empire. I mean, it could be completely wrong, but if if the author is writing about Poland and it's how broken up it is and all these duchies and all these little kingdoms and all this, and a um, holy, ins holy rolling inspired by the white flame kingdom 
with an emperor comes, well, that's the Holy Roman Empire. That's the Crusades. That's what's called the Northern Crusades. And what that does is suck Poland into Europe. We'll talk about this when we do 102 with the, the, um, the EU, the creation of the EU and the Warsaw Pact in Eastern Europe and how the concept of Europe today, there is like, you have to be in the EU. Oh, you're in Europe. You are in Europe. So what does that mean for Russia, for example? That's not part of the EU. Or Turkey, which wanted to get into the EU. So my point being is the Roman emperor's army and its conquests, with the culture that comes with it, begins to create this concept of what, quote, Europe is. And there's an inside of Europe and an outside of Europe. And that inside of Europe is tied to the Latin Greek urban civilization of the Mediterranean <coughs> and later to Christianity, especially Catholic Christianity, though in the East it will be Orthodox Christianity. But by 1204, Catholic and Orthodox Christianity will be at war with each other of who is really the real Europe. So... Augustus will rely for his government on the dynasty. That means the best jobs stay in the family. Senate families no longer matter. They'll, they'll give in to decadence. They'll give in to the, what's called the orgy, which is, starts with food, but the later Christians will talk about how much it's about sex. Uh, it'll be gladiatorial games. It's luxuries. It's about the social rise and fall. It's like Bridgerton, Roman style. Those, so your social rise and fall is more important than politics because the emperor is going to do what the emperor is going to do. And the emperor's family has all the best jobs. So if you're one of those old school Senate families, what do you do? You have money. Augustus did not attack you. He just took your power. And so for a lot of families, they're going to leave Rome because the emperor will pick loyalty over talent. Augustus came out of the civil wars. They don't want any more civil wars. The Senate doesn't want any more civil wars because they don't want to be murdered like Cicero got murdered. So they're perfectly fine with not being, you know, not having a lot of uh, civil wars and fighting the way the young hotshots would fight. So the emperor picks a cousin, a brother-in-law, a nephew to do jobs. And they're all loyal to him because they know they would never have that job if it wasn't for their uncle their stepdad, their father-in-law. So they're loyal. But they're not necessarily the most talented guys. There are no, there are no Cincinnatuses. No uh, emperor could pull, pluck a highly respected farmer off of his farm and make him general of the armies. There are no more Cicero. There are no more Ciceros. There are no more Cincinnatuses. There's no more Scipios. In the in the dynasty, you can't have a Scipio where the father dies, and then we'll okay, we'll get the son, and then the son dies, and then okay, we'll get his hit. Like that is kind of a dynasty, but it wasn't supposed to be. The Senate try was could only went to those people because the Spanish allies demanded them. So you couldn't just pick up a random 24-year-old to be 
general in chief. It had to be, he had to be related to the emperor, which is a problem because how many are there? And how good are they? Like, think of all your cousins. How many of them could run a giant army? Have the skills, have the energy. So you get no more civil wars. The Senate doesn't fight, have any more infighting because there's no stakes anymore. The Senate fights over who has the best parties. Who's rising? Who's falling? Who's getting married? Who's not? It's Bridgerton on Netflix. So what are the results? Well, a lot of Senate families leave Rome. They have the money. So what do they do? They go to small towns and they take their talent with them and they become local leaders. Remember, they value actoritas. So what they become is local patricians. They become the big guy in a small, they become the big fish in a small town. The big fish in a small pond. So that when the when the um, uh, winter celebration, when the winter solstice celebration happens, who's going to pay for it so that all the plebeians get some ham? The local rich guy does. Right? Who, it's, it's Downton Abbey is basically what it becomes. They go to the countryside. They go to small towns where they basically get themselves elected mayor and they become the most important guy like, they're going to buy a lot of Girl Scout cookies. They're going to make sure, hey, when the school play needs some money for um, for costumes, they write the check, right? And they get respect. Hello, this high school play is brought to you by the local patrician. Woo! And he's there, and he gets a spotlight on him, and everyone claps. And they go, oh, great, great, great. And just, thank you, thank you, thank you, local patrician. Because there's no rule. Now, this is a far cry from running the Senate in Rome. But you have no role there. You're, you're a, you're a, you, you sign a bill that the, that the emperor has already worked out. You have no purpose. There is no actoritas in the Senate. There is the actoritas of being the local rich guy who can help out poor people. Or help out ordinary people. Oh, Mr. Patrician, Mr. Patrician, my husband's dead. He died of cancer and we don't have any money. We don't, we don't have any money to bury him. Oh, don't worry, little lady. I will take care of it. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I don't know about my son. I, I, he, I just wanted him to get a good education. Oh, oh, please, please. I'll take care of that. Don't worry. We're going to have in town, just coming in the next couple months, the best Greek philosopher teachers anywhere. We're getting them right from Milan. It's going to be wonderful. Right? That's his job. And so they scatter. Now, these people will end up being the lords of the Middle Ages. Because when the barbarians come through, when the Gothics, when the Goths and the Germans and the Vandals and the Franks and the Alemanni, when they all come through, right? They're going to come into a town and they're going to be like, we're going to murder all of you people. And this one dude in a toga will come out and go, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm the mayor, like my father was and his father was and his father before him. And these are my people. And I promise you, if you do not murder them, we will give you money. Well, we will take your money. No, 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 no. That's a one-time taking of money. We will give you money every year. 
We call it Texas. And these barbarians looked at these guys and said, WTF? And they're like, yes. Texas is you give money every year to the people in charge. That's you. You just need to leave me in charge to collect the money to give to you. And they said, that's awesome. So we won't murder you. You'll pay us not to murder you. And you... What's your name, sir? Oh, uh, Doug. Sir Doug, you will be in charge. And if they don't pay, I'm going to hold you responsible. And he said, that's no problem. Because we're Romans. We pay taxes. We just don't care who the taxes go to. It goes to an emperor in Rome or it goes to a barbarian with a carrying a giant axe. It's all money to us. And in fact, the taxes will go down because the barbarians don't know what the Roman taxes were. And so, hey, you just make up a number. But the idea is they're the sirs. They're the local nobility. Of us in Italy, in Spain, and in parts of North Africa who are going to play pivotal roles in the Middle Ages. These senatorial families, these rich families who, who leave Italy and go to the farther realms where they can make a name for themselves, where they could get a toritas. The problem is if Rome gets in trouble, there are no Scipios, there are no Cincinnatuses, there's no talent pool to pull from, there's no substitutes. When Varus is murdered in, or murdered, he's defeated and killed in battle in the Tunenberg Forest, there was no one else to send up there to save the day. There's no, you, you're stuck with the family members you got. You couldn't just find a Scipio in Spain and be like, Scipio Maximalis, you go and you save the border. You have talent. It, it doesn't happen. It's, hey, um, do I have any cousins who want to go fight the Germans? Anybody? Anybody? I need a German. I need someone to fight the Germans. Uh, Bill? Bill? Um, dry yourself. Get out of the hot tub. Dry yourself. Go up and fight the Germans. Okay, but, uh, okay, but, um, uh, are you sure? Y yes, I need somebody, and uh, you're the only one in the hot tub. So go. If it's the, it's the emperor's family or it's no one, and so failure could equal dynastic collapse and civil war. Because you you have to failure means you got to get rid of all the family, all the cousins, all the nephews, all the son in laws, and you have to murder them all and put your family in. And so they're not going to go so easily. And so it means you could get a dynastic collapse and civil war. There's always a threat of that in the imperial system. What about welfare? Well, welfare continues, but it will be changed. It tries to help the poor while also giving them dignitas. Octavian's not stupid. He realized what caused the civil wars, and he goes, ha-ha, we still will have poor people because he doesn't want to change. He is conservative. He's not. He was one of those young hotshots, but he is conservative, but he knows things have to be reformed. And so instead, welfare becomes jobs. It's infrastructure jobs. We're going to build big things all peoples can use because we're a republic. Remember, that's the job of the republic. We're all in this together. So aqueducts, everyone can drink water. Roads, everyone can be on the roads. 
baths. You pay a money, you pay some money to get in for the for the towel and the such. But otherwise, it's there for everybody. And if you look at the aqueducts, are huge. They're eight hundred mile long. There's 13, 13 aqueducts, eleven or thirteen aqueducts that bring fresh water into Rome. Cities were awful. Cities were disgusting. Cities were open sewers until Rome happened. Rome will build a city of a million people and is healthier than any other city until the mo- to basically modern New York. Basically where New York built the canals to bring water in from upstate, from the, from the Catskills, to bring fresh water in. Until basically that era. And that's the 20th century. Like, Cities are disgusting. They're terrible places to live. Read your uh, Wordsworth. Read your Coleridge. Read your romantic poets in England who are looking at industrialization happen, and they start writing about the clouds and the hills and the smell of the the smell of the flowers. Why? Because when you went to London and all you smelt was the smoke and the coal and the burning and the people and the the sewage. That's Dickens, right? You read Dickens, you go, I don't want to live there. Neither did Dickens. So it's jobs, 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 jobs. It's infrastructure jobs. And every president does this. Joe Biden is doing it now, but Donald Trump said he was going to do it. And other ever, um, Barack Obama talks about infrastructure. It's we're going to build roads. We're going to give good paying blue collar jobs to men who make things. And that's a Republican value. And I don't mean Republican like the Republican Party today. It's Republican as in the form of government. It's not imperial. It's Republican. Every All Rome gets to use this stuff. It's for everybody. All Roman citizens are equal. They should all get to share in it. So it's in this way the way Americans have the national parks. They belong to all of us. It's a pride for citizen workers. I built that. They get dignitas. They get the money in their pocket. This is the pyramids, right? They get the money in their pocket. And they get to go home to their kids and say, I have a job and that job pays well and I'm building something Rome will use or the Roman Empire will use or Roman emperor or Roman citizens will use. I built those baths. I built that temple. I built that aqueduct. I built that. And all of this is economic and health and military benefits for the empire. It's less disease, right? It's more trade. It's easier mo- mobility for the army. So the emperor benefits. The empire benefits. Emperors build big things. And except for the circus, they're all still there. We have the giant... Uh, viaduct water aqueducts in Spain that go 800 miles. We've got Diocletian baths that are five stories tall. We've got the Colosseum. And then we have the biggest building in Rome that's not there. It's now a park is the um, chariot race, the racetrack, the Circus Maximus, the circus because it went in a circle. Maximum. And that's, that's, and the Romans loved, I I know we do a lot with gladiators, but the horse races are really, the the chariot races are really what Romans loved. We get the Pax Romana, the great Roman peace. Good emperors equal peace. 
the empire stops expanding by about 125 AD. And even before that, there's conquests in these various other places. It's not like it was before. It's not Spain and it's not Gaul. It's now the outer area areas. It's the frontiers. It's as far as the logistics will take them. So the empire starts expanding. More importantly, no one in the empire fought anymore. And all men everywhere used to fight, which means this is a crisis of masculinity. Remember, the, the Roman Empire now has 50 million people in it. It has all the Greeks in it, right? What did Greeks do every year? They fought other Greeks. And then they maybe fought the Persians. And then they like went back to fighting each other. All the Italians fought each other all the time for centuries. The Gauls fought the Etruscans. The Etruscans fought Latins. Latins fought each other. Etruscans fought each other. Everybody fought the Greeks in the South. And so now you have a crisis of masculinity. What is a man supposed to do if a man's not fighting? You could join the, the Imperial Army. You could join Octavian's army. But there's 50 million people, which means 25 million men, right? And only 100 to 200,000 men can be in the army. So what's the likelihood of you getting a position in that army? Given that uh, a lot of those positions are going to go to people whose fathers were already in the army, you know, then they have the other people who have patricians, who have senatorial patricians, who uh, will put in a good word for them and get them into the army. What's the likelihood? It's not good. It could happen, but it's not good. So this is a crisis of masculinity. What do I do now? Every summer I used to go and fight. Now I don't fight anymore. So what does it mean to be a man? There's also the crisis of future life. When you went to war, you didn't prepare. You didn't have a stock portfolio. Why? Because the stock portfolio is not going to make you any money for 50 years. You might die this summer. You, you might as well buy the Maserati. Future investments don't help you. So now you have to ask, what do I do with the time I didn't think I'd have. Now that I'm not fighting every summer, I might live. If I live to be an old man, what am I going to do with all that time? And so the Pax Romana creates two different crises. A crisis of masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? If a man doesn't fight, what is a man? And then the crisis of a future. What do you do with it? And so what you get is the investment in your future self. You get Greek education. You get the long-term investment in businesses. You get colonies where you leave Italy, you leave Rome, you go to Spain, you go to Portugal, you go to Dacia, you go to Britain, and you set yourself up. You take your Italian money, you take your military money, and you go to the outer edges of the world, and you set up a business. You set up a plantation, you buy some land. You start investing in yourself and your children's future. So Roman people get better. Rome gets better. Frontiers get investments. Because now you have time. Now you're investing for the future. Before, you didn't. And that's what you're doing. All of you are in school, right? You're, you're taking my class. Why? Because you think you have a future. If I told you an asteroid was going to hit... New Jersey next year and the world was going to end, would you be taking my class? 
No. You'd be having fun. You'd be doing something. The reason you're in my class is you say, I'm going to take four years. I'm going to take two years at community college. Maybe I'll continue two years on in another place. I'm going to take four years and I'm going to invest that in myself so that I make more money because over the next 40 years. I'm 20 now. I want to work till I'm 70. Uh, I have to work till I'm 65. I'll, I'll work till I'm 70. So I'm 25 now. So it's what? 45 more years, right? Well, that four years of investment makes total sense. If you live another 45 years and you're working another 45 years, if you're putting money into a stock portfolio, if you're putting money into a stock uh, fund, it makes sense. You put it in in your 20s, you put it in in your 30s, you're taking 200 bucks out every month, every paycheck to put it away so that when you're 80, you look and go, I have a million dollars. That's nice. It accrued interest. It accrued uh, stock. It, it accrued over time. But dude, if you're going to die at 27 like Jimi Hendrix, you're not going to do any of that. You're going to get on a motorcycle, drive without a helmet, and just have fun. Because what's the point of investing in a future you don't have? The Romans are the first people who had a future. They had peace. And they had the problem of now, what do I do with it? And so what they did was invest in themselves. So that brings us to Roman culture and writings. The most important is Virgil, who will write the Aeneid. He's remixing Homer. The idea that Rome didn't have a great literature. Rome doesn't have a great culture. They were at war all the time. Well, now they have peace. And so they need someone to say Rome was always supposed to be great. And everybody knows Homer. And so what Virgil does is remix Homer. That Rome is descended from the great heroes of Troy. Why Troy? Because it can't be Greeks. They defeated the Greeks. So that may, means they're related to Carthage because um, Aeneas is a founder of Carthage. So it means that Rome and Carthage were cousins. And that explains why Carthage came so close to defeating Rome. They're related. And they're not really related. In fact, the Carthaginians were more related to the Greeks. But this is a story, and we're remixing, and we're doing some hip-hop, and it's fun. And so now that means Rome is the avenger against the Greeks. For what Rome's conquest of Greece is the revenge for what they did to Troy. So it makes the Romans feel happy. Ha <laughs> ha, we won. We were always supposed to win. And it means Rome needs epic poetry. It needs an origin story. It's, Aeneid, it's the Aeneid that has the depth, the step-by-step -step of the whole Trojan horse. It's told in flashback. In the It's not mentioned at all in the Iliad, and it's told in flashback in the Odyssey. You want a step-by-step, -step, what happens? You got to go to Virgil. And you get one of the most famous uh, sentences in, in Virgil in all of literature which is beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Whether it's the Trojan horse or Greek lawyers with contracts,
beware of Greeks who show up and say, do I have a deal for you? We get Plutarch, who will do biography. And he's got two, his two volumes, Lives, is some of the best literature. It makes sense why it survives. It is some of the best literature of the ancient world. He loves gossip. He loves telling stories. And what he does is he compares great Greeks with great Romans. He pairs them up. So Alexander and Caesar get put together. And he shows their reasons for successes or failures. They're great, but they're not always successful. Some of them fail. Um, the point of his biographies is to show people, to teach young people how to live, how to grow up. So it's it's so Plutarch's writing these stories, and really what the books are meant to be is kind of a high school ethics class. You go to school and you kind of like, all right, we're going to read about Alexander, what made him so great. Give, write down, write an essay, write, write a one-page essay for homework, well, three reasons why Plutarch says Alexander's great. And um, give one reason that Plutarch says Alexander does something wrong. And then we'll talk about that. So, you, okay, what are three reasons you picked out? What are three reasons you picked out? What are three reasons you picked out? All right, okay, let's talk about, well, why are those things equal success? What happened? What did Alexander, what was Alexander thinking about? Because Plutarch will tell you. And Plutarch is teaching young people how to be great. And you be great by emulating the other greats. How do you avoid the failures of the past and you emulate the successes? Which Plutarch's complicated and says it can be in the same person. You could both be great and you have great success and great failure in the same person. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a morality tale for young people. Tacitus. Tacitus is essentially the founder of sociology and anthropology. Tacitus is a historian, um, or, or historians have claimed him as a historian, but in his Germania, he's writing sociology and anthropology. He's studying cultures. And so he's writing, who are the people of the empire? And how does it work? How does the empire work outside of Rome? That's his anthropology. Who are these people? Who's out? Who's 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 in the empire? Who's in Britain? His his father-in-law, I think it is, Agric is the Agricola, and he's a he's a um, governor in the provinces. He's up in Britain. And so Tacitus is like, oh, we should have more guys, more governors like my father-in-law, Agricola. But to do that, he's got, he talks about who are all of these people? Who's in this empire? Uh, American sociologists did this in the early 19th century when they tried to look at who are all the races? Who are all these people? There's Italians and there's Irish and there's Jews and there's the blacks and there's, and there's, uh, and there's uh, all these different Christians groups and there's all this, there's the Mormons out West and and they're trying to understand what is it to be an American? All these people, how do we get together? Who are we? In his book, The Germania, he's talking about people who are outside of the empire and how do they work? Who are the Germans? 
And they're, now the Germans are not one group. There are many, many groups. There are many, many different tribes. And so who are these people? How do they operate? What do they think about? What are their lives like? And the idea of this is the questioning, is the Roman project the best one? Who is more free, brave, honorable, us or the barbarians? Oh, we say it's us. We say we're free, but I pay taxes every year. I have to drive on the right side of the road. The German barbarians, they go where they please. They don't pay taxes. They don't owe allegiance. They do what they want. And so he breaks down social and cultural behaviors, their beliefs, their attitudes. And what he's doing in the Germania especially is criticizing Rome and how Rome is run and Roman society, but not criticizing Rome. You criticize Rome by elevating, by showing what the people you don't like are doing better than you. Like I just gave with the taxes and freedom. You know, it's it's what liberals like to do on Twitter all the time right now, where, uh, you know, some conservatives say USA, 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 USA is the best country in the whole wide world. And they'll respond with, well, the French have the French only work 35 hours and they make as much money as Americans do. And someone from England will go, well, we have universal health care and no one goes bankrupt from from. A medical procedure. And in your country, 50,000 people go bankrupt every year because of health care. And someone from Singapore will say, well, what about... And that's the idea. The liberals will be like, oh, see all these things? And they'll never say America's not great. They'll just say, look at what France does and look at what Singapore does and look at what... You know? <laughs> you know? Half of Finland's cabinet is women. Just saying. So when you talk about how equal we are in America, just saying the Finns, 50% of their cabinet is women. Just saying. And that's what Tassis is doing. He's criticizing without being critical. He's criticizing by pointing out the highlights of other people. And so that's what the culture is trying to do from Virgil trying to emphasize how great Romans are to Plutarch teaching the, through stories and through biography, how to be a great Roman, how to grow up and be great. And then Tassus being like, let's look at this. Are we really all that great? Are we really? And if we're, if we are, that's great. And if we're not, maybe we should fix things. So it's an investigation. It's an analysis to, is Rome as good as we say we are? Because if you want Rome to survive, you have to know if it works. And if it's not working, then you have to fix the things that don't work. Remember, that didn't happen with the civil wars. They didn't fix. They didn't reform. They knew there were problems, and they said, we're going to ignore these so the wheels fall off. And the wheels and everything else fell off. So Tacitus is looking at it going, let's look at Rome. Let's look and see. Are we really as good as we say we are? Because if we are, that's great. But if we're not, maybe we should do something about that. And that's us. That's us right here. 
That's why academics are always yelled at on Twitter and Facebook about not being patriotic. It's our job. It's our job to analyze stuff. It's our job. To, like, why can't you just be quiet and just say America's great? I, like, I can't do that because it's my job to look at America and go, this isn't working. We could fix these things. Look, the Finns fixed it. Look, the Brits fixed that. We could do better. That's my job. We are professional curmudgeons. I love America as much as the next person, but my job is to analyze America. That's to see the flaws. It is to take a flashlight into the corners. That's what Tacitus is doing. It is to look underneath the carpet where, where society you know, puts all the dirt they don't want to vacuum up. Right? It's 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 the floor in the back of the closet that we all have. So that's so we see Roman culture is becoming something. We didn't talk about Roman culture in the Roman Republic because so much of it was just taken from the Etruscans or the Greeks. In the Roman Empire, in the Pax Romana, we see Roman culture coming into its own. It's grappling with Rome being Rome, with Rome being a superpower with Rome being rich, with Rome being at peace, with Rome being multicultural and multiracial, which isn't the biggest part because they're not racist in the ancient world, but it's still, they're not all white Roman Italian Latins anymore. There's Africans, there's Egyptians, there's brown, there's black, there's white, there's, there's all kinds of colors of people. They all speak different languages. So what binds these people together? And that's what these guys are from Virgil and the heroic stories to Plutarch and his biographies and morality tales. And even to Tacitus with his investigation, with his analysis, he's trying to, to get to what makes Rome, Rome. So take care, be safe, stay healthy. See you soon.